Welcome to the Standing Up to Pots podcast, otherwise known as the Potscast. This podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering the community about postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, commonly referred to as POTS. This invisible illness impacts millions and we are committed to explaining the basics, raising awareness, exploring the research, and empowering patients to not only survive, but thrive. This is the Standing Up to POTS podcast. Hello, fellow POTS patients and compassionate people who care about POTS patients. I'm Jill Brooke, your horizontal host, and today we have an episode of the POTS Diaries, where we get to know someone in the POTS community and hear their story. Today we are speaking with Anna, who has kindly volunteered to tell her tale. Anna, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. We're excited to learn about you. So where are you and how old are you? I am in New York City and I'm 20 years old. How do you like New York City? I like it a lot. I moved here from Virginia, like near the DC area, just from like the suburbs. So I really like the liveliness here and I go to school here. But yeah, I just moved into a new apartment today. Oh, congratulations. I remember when I first went to college, it was my first time being not exactly in New York City, but not that far. And it was so loud that like for the first three nights that I was there, I did not sleep and I was like, oh my gosh, there's like traffic 24-7. How do people deal with that? And then I got used to it and it was no big deal. (laughs) At first, it really got me. It was definitely something to get used to, but I'm such a deep sleeper that I can sleep through anything. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm making a note to ask you about that because I think that much of our audience like wishes they were a deep sleeper. We will have to dig into that. What would your friends or family say your personality is like? I would say, like, my closest friends and my family would say I'm, like, pretty, like, talkative, maybe funny, I don't know, kind of weird, (laughs) artsy. Neat. Okay. And what are some things that you feel passionate about? Well, I am a photography major, so I definitely feel very passionate about photography. And I was previously a dance major, and so dance has been a part of my life for a really long time. So I'm definitely very connected with the performing arts and now the visual arts. So it's kind of all the art. Neat. What are your favorite things to take photos of? I really like portrait photography. I just love taking pictures of people and faces. I've been like exploring more of taking pictures of dancers and things like that. Neat. Besides dance and photography, what are you good at if we force you to brag about yourself a little bit? (laughs) I would say I was a pretty good dancer and I'm in a good photography program. So I hope that means I'm a good photographer. I also grew up playing piano and cello, so I don't really play cello anymore, but I used to be pretty good at that. I'm still fine at the piano, and next semester I'm going to take lessons through the school, so hopefully I'll like get better. <laughs> Neat, so you sound very artistic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have to laugh. So I played cello in high school. And I think looking back, probably my earliest pot symptom was sitting upright playing cello. 
Have you ever played the Pachelbel Canon, like for somebody's wedding or something? And I believe it's 64 times. It's the same. It's the same. Dun, 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 64 times. And I remember having a really hard time staying conscious for that and like slowly melting. And there's the same thing over and over. At the time, I thought I was just bored and losing it. But that is now funny. But I apologize to the people whose wedding I did not make it all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a life before POTS? And if so, can you give us a snapshot of that life? Yes, definitely. So just for some perspective, I got diagnosed with POTS in May of 2020. My whole life before that, I didn't really have like any major symptoms of POTS. I was very active growing up. At one point, I was in gymnastics, dance, soccer, volleyball, all at the same time. And additionally, I was also in like Girl Scouts and piano. And then my activities, as I entered middle school, my activities kind of whittled down to like mainly just focusing on dance and music. And then high school, it was really just dance. So I would start to train many hours a week. In middle school, I danced like 10 to 20 hours a week. Got to leave school early for off-campus PE because <laughs> of the amount of hours. What kinds of dance were your favorite? My favorite has always been contemporary I enjoy ballet and then I used to do a lot of jazz and some tap and hip hop as well, but those weren't my, my best styles, but I've definitely always like enjoyed all styles, mostly contemporary and modern. Okay. So it sounds like you were super busy, super active, doing mm -hmm. everything. And what else? Right before high school, I moved to Virginia. I moved from Texas to Virginia. Oh. Right before high school. That's a big change. Yeah. And then during high school, I started dancing at a conservatory. So I was like dancing at much more of like a pre-professional level. Got exposed to like prominent choreographers and parents were really encouraging of like consistent training. So that was just like my whole life outside of going to school was going to dance. I would say I'm like became a lot closer to my dance friends than my school friends. So I was just always going to class, rehearsing, performing constantly. And working toward a professional career in dance? Yes. Ever since I was little, there was like never a doubt in my mind that I wanted to be a dancer, even though the rigor of that career path really scared me <laughs> and like how competitive it was. I just like knew there was nothing else that I wanted to do because it was just like so ingrained in my life. I loved it, even though it was hard. <laughs> this is just hard to listen to because I'm bracing myself for you to tell me that you're not able to dance anymore. But let's go with what, what was your first sign that something was going on? That's interesting. So first, some background. I auditioned for a bunch of college dance programs, and I ended up getting into NYU to School of the Arts dance program. That's where I went, and that was my dream school. Really excited about that. Yeah, I was like very social at the beginning, and then like I was, I felt myself getting better and like more confident in dancing. And then in October of my freshman year, which was in 2019, I got mono somehow. And I don't really know how, but I got mono, you know, like not an uncommon thing for people to get 
when they enter college. But the only symptoms I had from that was like a sore throat for like a week. And then the most intense symptom was the fatigue. And I was just so fatigued and run down. So I started sleeping till the afternoon, like sleeping through my morning technique classes several times a week, which was really bad. I would sleep through my multiple alarms, through my roommate who slept above me, like getting ready to go to school and stuff. How many hours of sleep would you get? I would get maybe like 12 or 14 hours and I would still be so tired. So yeah, that fatigue was like really frustrated by it because I really wanted to go to my classes. Like I was still new at the school. I didn't want to leave a bad impression on my teachers, but I did explain to them what was going on, that I had mono and everything, but with the expectation that this would pass the next few weeks, hopefully. The next semester, I started really hot and cold easily, and I would be like sweating a lot more, and then I would get a lot more easily exhausted from my dance classes and wasn't able to perform as well in those classes. So then COVID hit, we were all sent home, and I had to take dance classes through Zoom. How's that? It was very interesting. We all kind of had to just find a space in our house that would give us enough room to dance. Some of us like had our own like ballet bars, so we would use those for ballet. But yeah, it was a very interesting experience. We had to take a lot of videos of ourselves and definitely challenging. So then at that point, the point where like I knew that something was wrong was when my legs started giving out randomly. I wouldn't pass out and I would like be like completely conscious, but my legs would just give out from under me. My knees would like just buckle. What's going on? And it would happen sometimes in the middle of dancing and I'd have to like turn my camera off, sit down for a minute. Okay, something's really wrong. And then my parents saw it happen to me and they were like, oh my God, like what's wrong with you? Tell us, what was the moment where you're like, okay, time to see a doctor about this? Yeah, it was when my legs started giving out. I knew that the the fatigue never got better from the mono. It had been months since I had mono. So there was like those two main things. So I went to my primary care physician who was a pediatrician. Basically, I'm pretty sure they like did all my blood work and all those kinds of tests and like everything looked fine and healthy and and those tests. And so basically they were just like, oh, well, maybe it's COVID anxiety. Oh, gosh. I was like, oh, um, (laughs) I don't really feel that anxious about COVID. But I guess you were coming from New York City where probably the most COVID anxiety of any place was. I was in like a much less like populated area. I could just be in my house. I think they might have said that because I have general anxiety, like generalized like clinical anxiety. So I feel like that was maybe like an easy first Uh, guess. (laughs) So they thought your knees were buckling when you dance because your knees somehow, somehow what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh. I, was, I was so anxious about COVID that my legs gave out. Oh man. Did you believe that or did you just keep searching for other doctors? I did not believe that. And I'm kind of a hypochondriac. So I like research every symptom and like go down rabbit holes. 
I think all of us have done that. <laughs> yeah. That's the only reason I ever got diagnosed. Yeah, literally. That's basically where I'm going with this. <laughs> I like was reading, eventually got led to POTS. And I actually knew someone that I danced with in high school who had POTS. All I knew about it was that she got dizzy sometimes and had to drink a bunch of Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at the symptoms and I was like, these kind of seem to match up. But the one thing I wasn't sure about was, does my heart rate go up when I stand? Like, I didn't really have a way to measure that. So I got a heart rate monitor and like started kind of doing like POTS tests on myself to like see if that was something that was happening. But sure enough, my heart rate would go up. I have a pretty low resting heart rate, so it would go up from like 50 to 60 to like 120 to 130, which is pretty high for me. I was like, oh, well, I don't think that's normal. So I kind of had that in the back of my mind the next time I went to the doctors and they did an orthostatic test on me, but they only did it to where I was like standing for a couple minutes, which I guess in that period of time, my heart rate didn't go up enough for it qualifies POTS. But the doctor was like, well, it might be something called POTS, which I was like, she brought it up like before I even like said anything about POTS. Ah. Wow. Amazing that you know about that. So my pediatrician sent me to a cardiologist and the first cardiologist I saw kind of did like an orthostat, like a really short orthostatic test on me. They saw that I was referred for like possible POTS, but she was like, mm, that's an extreme diagnosis. Let's not go there yet. I don't think that you have that, but let's instead put a heart monitor on you for two months and monitor your heart activity. And I was like, oh, okay, which like, okay, but also these symptoms were like so debilitating that I needed a diagnosis. I needed treatment ASAP yeah. because I guess what a lot of doctors sometimes don't understand is that when you're a dancer, you can't just stop. When you're on like a, a pre-professional track, you can't just stop dancing and then wait for you to get better. It's also interesting to me that they wanted to measure your heart rate. Did you say for two months? Because I can't imagine what would take two months to capture. Like, <laughs> I know. It was very strange. They wanted to do that for two months and have like a follow-up after that. So I decided to go to another cardiologist. It was a pediatric cardiologist, but this clinic actually very close by to me and it, they specialize in POTS. So it was like kind of an amazing find. And I was very lucky to find them because they proceeded to do like a lot of different tests on me like over that next week. They did like so many tests. They did like neurological tests, nerve tests, neurocognitive tests, the orthostatic tilt table tests, and all those things. And then I met with a doctor remotely a week later and he was yeah like you have like double pots your heart rate goes up like way more than even the pots criteria were you happy to have an answer or were you bummed out to have something that was considered slightly serious I was definitely happy to have an answer and like an explanation to these symptoms because I could just feel that they weren't gonna just go away like by themselves. I just needed something to explain it and then that way there would be like a pathway to treatment. 
it was helpful to already be familiar with POTS and like I kind of suspected that's what it was so and I was right so but it was kind of sucky to know that this was like a chronic condition so remind us again how long ago it was that you got diagnosed it was in May 2020 so two years ago as we record this. yes You've had two years now where you at least had a name for your problem. Did that lead to things that helped very much? Like how much more functional are you now than you were then? I would say it's been like so up and down. It's kind of hard to like keep track in a linear way. Do you still sleep 14 hours a day? Really, you know, would you sleep through alarms and roommates getting up and things like that? Yeah, it's definitely better. Like I found a way to like control that. I literally bought an alarm clock that like jumps off your desk and rolls around until you go catch it. (laughs) It's a little better. And I'm not as active as I like forced myself to be back then because I like still continue like in the dance major, continue taking dance classes. I would say without being a dance major and like having that aspect of my life, I feel more functional because I feel like what I'm doing now is more manageable than the level activity I was doing before. So you have enough energy, your legs don't buckle so long as you're kind of doing photography and like, can you go for a walk? Right now, it's just kind of been some random flare-ups. Last week, I had a really bad flare-up. My legs started giving out again, which hadn't happened in a bit because I've been trying to exercise consistently, which has been actually like really helpful. Doing different kinds of exercise where I don't have to stand up and like sit down, like stand up again really quickly because you kind of have to do that a lot and dance level changes. So yeah, doing more workouts where my upper body is like more still (laughs) helps. And are you back living on your own to go to school? Is that the apartment you moved into today? Yes, I am going to be living with a couple of roommates in New York City. It was definitely a long path to get here. When the doctor diagnosed me with POTS, they decided to kind of go with like just a natural treatment route. They just basically prescribed me to like drink lots of Gatorade and yeah, basically just drink lots of Gatorade, eat lots of salt, take some supplements. As long as I would drink two giant things of Gatorade a day, like it helped a little bit. But that summer of 2020, I drank so much Gatorade. I could never drink Gatorade ever again. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was just too much. I knew that just wasn't sustainable, just constantly drinking Gatorade. And that was like my only way of survival. <laughs> Drink Gatorade. So I went back to that doctor like before school started again the next fall and they put me on fludrocortisone. That mm-hmm. sort of helped, but I was still very fatigued and my legs would still give out, not quite as often as before, but still frequently enough that it was bothersome. Also, it made my blood pressure like really high, concerningly high. And like, I've never had a problem with blood pressure It's uh, since I've been so active growing up it was always on the lower end but that medication just 
made it way too high would make me feel worse in some cases because I would just sweating all the time and like get really hot. Well, yeah. So New York City is a tough place, in my opinion, for pots because it can get so hot. But then also there's not that many places, at least that I know of, to sit down or lay down if you're not at home. Is it tough to manage? It is tough to manage. It kind of makes you realize this city, like how this city was built is so ableist because like I have to take the subway all the time as New Yorkers do, taking the subway everywhere. Most of the subway stations that I go to don't have an elevator or anything. You have to take the stairs. The stairs make my heart rate like shoot way up. Stairs are hard. I also have to like walk everywhere because sometimes the subway is not not the best way to get to where I'm going. There is just absolutely nowhere to stop and rest. There's rarely a bench or anything to sit down at. Right. They work hard to make sure there's no place like that, I think, because no business wants a homeless person right in front of their property, right? I hate New York City. I mean, I, I love New York City, but I hate how if you have to sit down, it's like on a gross sidewalk or like. <laughs> yeah, I just have to like squat sometimes when I like literally can't stand for another second. I just have to go to a corner and like squat or find a cafe and like sit inside because there's been like less and less benches. It can be like very tough to get around. Ubers are really expensive, so can't really do that either. <laughs> Tell me this, is there anything you wish you knew about POTS sooner that you know now? You don't have to always just give in to the symptoms. It's a bit of a mental game sometimes for me. I know my symptoms aren't in my head. They are right there. There are really bad days sometimes where I like can't get out of bed. I feel like if I just dwell on the symptoms too much, I won't be able to live my life. I can do more than I thought I could do previously. I've started going to the gym on a regular basis, which is something I thought I would never be able to do again, like exercise regularly because in dance, I would always get like super dizzy and have to sit down. But there are different types of exercises that I can work through and that make me feel stronger. Just following like a good regimen, keeping up my fluids, keeping up the salt intake, because it's like easy to neglect those things. When I made the decision to leave the dance program, it just made me like really depressed and feel like I couldn't do anything. It also felt if people saw me being active, then they would be like, oh, like, why did she even drop out of dance? She She's so like functional and is like normal, can do whatever. But then I have a cane now that I sometimes use. I'm kind of self-conscious about using it because I just can feel people like staring at me and maybe that's just like my own <laughs> self-consciousness, self-awareness. I'm trying to like get through that mental block using my cane when I really need it. Sometimes I just like let that fear get so in the way that like I don't use it when I like really do need it. Oh. I feel like I'm about to fall on the street. What is the very best support that people can give you these days? 
I definitely think just understanding the symptoms and like what POTS is, reading the literature about it, like knowing what the symptoms are, understanding that those symptoms are real. And sometimes like I'll be too fatigued to go out, but that doesn't mean I don't want to see you. Sometimes it'll take me longer than usual to form my thoughts, but that's brain fog. There's an explanation to things that I used to be able to do more, but like I still want to live my life and I still want to have relationships with people. They just kind of have to take a bit of a different form as I just need focus on taking care of myself and not push myself too much because then that'll just lead to a flare-up. Yeah. I think you're smart to have figured that out. Would you be up for a speed round? Yeah, for sure. Okay, perfect. What is your favorite way to get salt? Any electrolyte drink that is not Gatorade. (laughs) (laughs) What else is going to be my next question? What is the drink you find the most hydrating now that you're over Gatorade? Liquid IV is pretty hydrating. (laughs) What is your favorite time of day and why? Late afternoon, evening, because I feel like the most energized. Would have eaten and drank fluids (laughs) by then. (laughs) Where is your favorite place to spend time? In any apartment with my friends. (laughs) Oh, nice. What is one word that describes what it's like living with pots? This isn't one word. Up and down. (laughs) Yeah. What is some good advice you've ever heard? You don't have to push through it or push your body to the limit because limits are sometimes there for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) What is something small or inexpensive that brings you comfort or joy? This is kind of embarrassing, but like kind of my baby blanket because I've had it forever. Oh, I totally get that. Who is somebody that you admire? My dad. Do you want to say why? He very much persevered like through his life. He grew up horror. He put himself through college. And now he has like a really successful career. Computer science. (laughs) That's fantastic. What is something you are proud of? I've been able to find another passion that I can pursue other than like where I thought my life was going my whole life. (laughs) What is the toughest thing about POTS? The opposite of that, just like not being able to do what you want to do. And like sometimes those things that you want to do are dreams that you've had for your whole life. (laughs) What is an activity you can enjoy even when you're feeling really potsy? Eating a salty snack and watching some Netflix on my bed. (laughs) Is there anything you can do that reliably gives you energy when you need it? Hydrating as much as I can. Doing my calf raises. (laughs) What is something that you are grateful for? Definitely my my closest friends because they're very supportive, really care about my (laughs) well-being. Can you please finish these sentences? I love it when... When I have enough energy to go out and do something in the city with my friends. I hate it when... My legs start giving out and I know it's gonna be a bad symptom day. People might suspect I'm a potsy when... I use my cane. Last speed question. Have you ever had to sit down or lie down in a weird place because of pots? And if so, where was it? 
a furniture store before, but that was kind of convenient because I could just pretend I was trying a mattress. Oh, perfect. A bed right there at my disposal. Yeah. Okay. I just have a couple more questions. What do you wish more people knew about POTS? More people just knew about POTS in general because it's a lot more common of a condition than people know. I wish pe- more people knew that it's non-linear and like there are good symptom days and there are bad symptom days, but on good symptom days, it doesn't mean that I'm cured and there will sometimes be setbacks. Okay, and my last question is, why did you agree to let us share your story today? For me, what's gotten me through, like, experiencing POTS, uh, finding out, like, these diagnoses, is, like, hearing other people's stories, similar experiences as mine, especially, like, people that are, like, around my age. So I think it's important for people to share their stories because it could be really helpful to someone who's going through the same thing, knowing that they're not alone. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing your story. We all really appreciate it. And I know everybody listening is wishing you all the best for life in New York City and hoping that things only get easier and better for you. We really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for letting me share. And hey, listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. We'll be back again next week. Till then, thank you for listening. Remember, you're not alone, and please join us again soon. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Consult your healthcare team about what's right for you. This show is a production of Standing Up to Pots, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can send us feedback or make a tax-deductible donation at www.standinguptopots.org. You can also engage with us on social media at the handle Standing Up to Pots. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing to our podcast and sharing it with your friends and family. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thepotscast.com. Thanks for listening.